Well, if you have your Bible with you this evening, please turn with me to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. This is a short psalm, only six verses. Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we read your word and hear it preached, that your spirit would work in our hearts. Open them. Cause them, Lord, to have great joy and have great comfort at what you teach us and reveal to us therein. We pray for your spirit's blessing, for your spirit's work and guidance and comfort, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Psalm 13, beginning in verse 1. Here now, the holy, the inerrant, the inspired and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Indeed, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, people of God, Psalm 13 is another psalm of lament in a time of King David's distress and weakness. And though the specific time and occasion is unknown... David's opening word should remind us of those in Psalm 10 that we've considered previously as he asked two big questions in his prayer in verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord, was his first question. And why do you hide in times of trouble, his second. Now remember that though David was often a man of confidence and joy and trust in the Lord in his weakness, He was also a man filled with doubts and sorrows that led to many questions. We can relate all too well, can't we? Those moments and seasons when darkness seems to cloud and even shroud our our hearts and our minds. We can't think clearly, maybe. We can't see clearly. What was once right side up then seems to have flipped upside down. The light that was once like crystal is now fuzzy and gray. And so what should the saints of the Lord do in those moments? With tear-soaked pillows and beds like David had in Psalm 6, we cry out and we seek His face for His grace. We seek His face for His grace. Theologians refer to David's night and others like it as the dark night of the soul. 
And yet, even in such dark nights, we must seek His face. For God, as He sits on His throne of grace, is open to and welcomes hearing and receiving all of our petitions, especially the sorrow-filled ones. And David was quite familiar with that variety, wasn't he? And so really what we find in this psalm tonight is the perceived deserted soul's case along with its cure. Its case and its cure. Let's consider David's complaint of how long, O Lord, in verses 1 and 2. His plea to be heard in verses 3 and 4. And his words regarding trust and rejoicing and singing in verse 5 and 6. And so again, he opens this psalm, as he has others, with important questions. In verses 1 and 2, see David's fourfold repetition in the presentation of his case to God. As he asks, how long? And, and know that this psalm is often referred to as the how long psalm by many because of these verses. In verse 1, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now notice that, that whereas in Psalm 10, David cried out to God desiring to know the reason why God seemed so distant from him, here, his opening questions surround the, tub, the subject of time which is a subject he also asked about in Psalm 6, verse 3. As David asked, will you forget me forever here in, in Psalm 13? An important question in response is, had God truly done so? Had God truly forgotten David? Even for a lengthy time, even what seemed like an eternity from David's perspective, was that really true? No. Did David feel forgotten? Yes. His questions communicate a degree of anguish. David really wanted to know. I, I am falling. I'm, I'm struggling to stand, O oh Lord. How, how long will I have to suffer? For in David's state of weakness, if, if God was mindful of him, if he remembered David in his condition and situation, then God would have risen to act for David and his cause. And David passionately desired relief. He desired that if it be God's will, his present suffering would be short. And the same mindset is true of his second question about the length of time that God would hide his face from him. Again, had God truly withdrawn his favor from David? Know that David isn't the only one either that had such a question. Job voiced a similar question to the Lord in Job 13, 24, when he asked, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Ethan, the Ezraite, did as well in Psalm 89, verse 46, when he asked, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Notice, very similar to David. Will your wrath burn like fire, he asks. Now, it's possible that David experienced a season of God's fatherly displeasure due to sin that David had committed. However, did God's sustaining grace ever leave David? 
No. And David confesses this in the coming verses. You know, in many ways, we can understand these questions from David. Maybe you've had them yourself at one time or another. Maybe you still have them. Or maybe they've come up recently in your hearts. Beloved, if Satan can get in your head and get you confused and feel lost, he will at all costs. He wants you to believe that God has forgotten you. You're a lost cause. You have no light. You have no hope. And for that matter, you never will, he says. Light and hope will never return to you, he wants you to believe. He wants you to think that you will suffer in a place that is void of divine grace forever. God will never lift the light of his countenance upon you. You will be crushed. But those are all lies from the pit of hell. Those are all lies from the pit of hell to the people of God. They couldn't be farther from the truth. Yes, we are called to a life filled with suffering because Christ suffered. And we share in his sufferings. But the glorious gospel message is that Jesus lived and he suffered and he died for us. He was crushed by his Father in your place so that you wouldn't be. That is the glorious gospel message. Christ was crushed for you. He was crushed and and through his victory has now crushed the head of that wily serpent. The one that whispers in your ears. Indeed, Jesus is with you in the dark places. He is with you in the dark places and his real presence by his spirit and word must ground you when the lies lure you to think that you're out of his mind and void of his favor. I know many of you are like me, and that that's a temptation that comes, isn't it? You're out of his mind, and you're void of his favor. And if you don't feel that way now, you're tempted to think, eh, you soon will be. Look at verse 2. We see his next two questions. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Beloved, daily sorrow from ongoing suffering weighs heavy and burdens the heart. All of us have sorrowed over one thing or another in life. Some of us more often than others. But daily sorrow is heavy. Daily sorrow is weighty, and it preys on the Spirit. Sometimes sorrow is a part of our daily experience on a long-term basis. And as it was so in David, as he felt alone and, and even left to, him, left to his own self, really, and left to his own self-talk and counsel, he felt all the more burdened. For he didn't know what to do to get out of his own troubles. He he couldn't figure it out. How many of you can relate to that? I know I can. Sometimes we take it upon ourselves and we're just going to figure it out. We're going to pull us up by our bootstraps and here we go. 
I'm going to get out of this pit one way or another. We don't turn to God to do it. We're going to figure it out. David listened to himself all too much and all too often. And here he is. Here he was before the Lord. I'm at my end, O Lord. I, I don't know how long. I turn to you, how long? Really, there wasn't anything he could do. He needed God's help and grace. And so here he is at the throne of grace where he needed to be from the beginning. And so David then gives a passionate plea to be heard and enlightened. Look at verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I should sleep the sleep of death. Now, these two petitions are important, beloved. David first desired to be heard. Remember, he felt forgotten. He felt like God was not paying attention to him, that he wasn't in the Lord's mind. He desired that God would pay attention to his prayer and hear him, or literally in the Hebrew, answer him. And so David didn't only want God to hear but he desired his hearing David's pleas to be evident in an answer through helping him. And secondly, see that David desired divine enlightenment. He desired God to strengthen his faith. He desired insight and understanding. We should all desire this, shouldn't we? But this is a great combination This is a great combination and a plea that we should all desire, that we see in David. Hear me, O God. Answer me according to your will. Please, O Lord, enlighten my understanding. Grow me in your grace. Grow me in trusting you and depending on you, though I may not see your answer right away. Do these things for me, O Lord. And when God does so, how does he bring it about? He does so through the work of the Spirit, in and through His Word, His law. Look at Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Notice, enlightening the eyes. And so we see this great work of the Word by the Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. Hear those words, those action words, converting, bringing wisdom, bringing rejoicing in our hearts, enlightening our eyes. But what else is true about the work of the Word? Well, Psalm 119 is full of such wisdom and insight in that. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It illuminates. It shows me the way. It guides my steps. Proverbs 6, 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. God's law is so important for us today, beloved. It always was, it always has been, and it continues to be. 
We need the commands and the statutes and the precepts of our Lord. We need to study them and meditate on them day and night. We need to see their benefit and their worth, their function, their purpose in our lives. And indeed, they guide us. They show us the way. They show us the way of righteousness. The law is a light. And so why did David desire such enlightenment? Well, David knew the life and joy that comes from it. He also, therefore, knew the danger of its absence in his life. Lest he sleep the sleep of death, he said. Lest he continue to sink underneath the weight of his burden and die. Matthew Henry said this, Nothing is more killing to a soul than the want of God's favor. Nothing more reviving than the return of it. Ah, when the face of the Lord shines upon the believer. Ah, when the face and the grace of God is evident and present to the saint, to his beloved children, how wonderful it is, how reviving it is. And David goes on to give another reason. In verse 4 he says, Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David knew that if he continued to walk burdened and according to his own strength and counsel, his enemy would prevail. And therefore they would rejoice when he was overthrown. He knew that he needed God's light and intervention to not only recover, but also to press on and to persevere, to grow. David says in Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Such a wonderful plea. But notice the trust in that plea. With God, he would never be ashamed. Psalm 35, verse 19. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. Beloved, we very much need the same focus and petition for ourselves today. We really do. And interestingly, when we, we find David dramatically shifting from a place of discouragement here in this psalm to being, and, and in that place, being ready to sink into despair to then rejoicing and singing here at the end, notice. And this is the fruit of drawing near to God. This is the fruit of drawing near to God, and we need to remember this in our own times of walking through the valley of the shadow and being in times of despair and discouragement. Maybe even having the same questions in our hearts and minds. How long, O Lord, do I need to suffer in this way or that? But This is the fruit of drawing near to God. Mourning turns into gladness by His grace. Remember the fruit of Hannah being comforted when Eli spoke to her in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. 
we see this exact thing. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away, notice, and ate, and her face was no longer sad. The peace and the joy that the Lord brings his suffering servants. And in verse 5, we see this rejoicing and singing in David. Look there. But I have trusted your mercy. This is where it begins. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See how in the midst of his burdened heart, in the midst of sorrow and struggle, David has renewed clarity in his Lord, and he declares, he really sings of his trust to him in a song of praise here. Notice David trusted God's mercy. God hadn't treated David as he deserved. And David trusted in God's action in that. David trusted his covenant Lord and his faithful devotion, his gracious devotion, which was expressed in God's covenant love. God bound himself to his people and did so in bonds of love. And that was all the more evident to David. The psalmist proclaims in Psalm 33, beginning in verse 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And notice verse 21, For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Mercy and rejoicing. Trust and rejoicing. And therefore, considering this, David would rejoice. Notice the contrast of rejoicing between David and his enemies in verse 4. Whereas his enemies would rejoice over his death, David would rejoice in his salvation. Praise the Lord. David would rejoice in his deliverance and life. And that from God. The Apostle Paul teaches us where true joy and peace come from in Romans 15, 13, when he says, Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Further, David would sing to his God, notice in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me, he says. Now, on the one hand, it's true that he would sing because of all that God had done in his bountiful care, in the pouring out of the riches of his grace upon David. He would sing because of this. But on the other hand, interestingly, the word for bountiful in the Hebrew is otherwise translated to wean. And scholars note that this is likely referring to God causing David to grow up and mature in his faith. And even in that growth and maturity, even in that sanctification in his heart, this would lead to much singing, much praise, because he had been so grown by the living God. 
And so as much as one could rightly point to bountiful divine care and protection in David's life, here bountiful growth in faith and in grace is also in view. And so I encourage you here to leave tonight comforted and confident as you walk with your God. Though you may go through times when you wonder if or you feel like God has left or abandoned you in your afflictions, he is truly always there for you. He is undoubtedly teaching you important lessons along the way, just like he did with David. But Christ is always with you. Though trials and suffering may be long, also remember that they won't last forever. And the Lord has them in your life for a purpose, for a glorious purpose. Remember 1 Peter 5.10, For after you've suffered a while, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And as Peter also calls us in 1 Peter 5.7, be committed to casting your anxieties and your troubles upon Christ and, and not try to bear your burden on your own, trying to live and navigate through them on your own or by your own counsel. And like David, may you trust in your God, rejoice in His salvation, and sing praises to him, never forgetting his bountiful care to you, not only in his love, not only in his protection and preservation, but also in your sanctification. For that is very present and a wonderful thing to rejoice about as the Lord cares for you and he grows you in grace. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for this window into David's heart yet again that shows such wonderful things to us. So many things that we can relate to, oh God. So many things that we need to do in turning to you and trusting you and walking with you and in praising you, and rejoicing, truly having the joy of the Lord, as you give it to us and as you grow us, as you mature us in the faith, O oh God, we pray that you would do these things for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.